everybody. Glad to see you. I'm Cameron. For those of you uh, that I don't know, I'm really thankful you're here. Those of you I do know, I'm still glad you're here. Um, we have uh, a little rotation going on this summer with um, people preaching because pastors go on vacation or people are out of town or whatever, and Joe is on a much-deserved vacation. So you had Steve last week. You will have me today and the next week then I'm not sure who's here someone will be here to preach I'm not sure who I will not be here I will be in Ecuador so show up someone will be preaching but we're really thankful that you're here um, I, a former pastor here Ron Ball says I have a lot to say so listen quick okay so it's up to you to try to listen to everything I have to say in a short amount of time all right we're going to talk about a big broad overview today of God's grace what does it look like what does it apply to? How do I access it? All these things. So that's what we're going to look at, this big, broad picture. My encouragement to you is please take the scriptures that are in your bulletin, the points that are in the bulletin, and look at this for yourself because there's no way in one day we could cover everything. It would take us weeks, and we still wouldn't cover everything. So please take that uh, paper that's in your bulletin home with you. Look up those scriptures for yourself and see where is it that this applies to your life right now. We're going to touch on five things today where I believe God's grace is sufficient. Where does it touch our lives in those areas? And my, um, my hope is that you'll see that it applies to every area of our lives. And it's accessible in every area of our lives. C.S. Lewis was asked one time, what is it that makes Christianity different than every other religion in the world? And his answer was so simple and so short. He said, that's easy. It's grace. If you look at any other religion in the world, the, the point of whatever the end goal is, you have to strive to get there. You have to work really hard. And the reality is that there's no way to get where we need to be without the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, which is only through grace. It's a gift to us. So it's an amazing thing to think that there's nothing about our lives that God's grace cannot touch and cannot do what we need for it to do. Grace is the foundation of Christianity. That's what makes us different, is understanding this free gift that comes from God. We do not deserve it. Uh, by grace, lost people are found. I don't know about you. You may not be found yet. I hope by the end of today you will be. But for those of you that are found already, don't you know that it was the grace of God that found you? We don't find Jesus. He was not lost. He did not take a trip. And, and it was not that way. He finds us. And it's by his grace because he seeks us out. Scripture says he seeks to save the lost. That's an awesome thing to me. So today, my hope is that you get a firm hold on this concept. It's not an idea. It's not some abstract thing. It is the truth of the Word of God, that God's grace is sufficient and touches every part of our life. According to the dictionary, grace has kind of a short definition. It says it's an act of kindness, courtesy, or clemency, which that's a short thing. It's true. All of that is true. But if we think of it in light of God's word and what God says about his grace to us, it's so much bigger than any definition that could ever be written, that's for sure. It may be the technical definition, but there's so much more to it. That's what we're going to look at today. If you're struggling today with issues in your life, God's power is made available because of his grace to us, and it's sufficient. Now, I was thinking about the word sufficient or the sufficiency of God's grace, and in my mind... And I, I was born in Tennessee and raised in South Alabama and went to school in Kentucky. So it's a wonder that I can put a full sentence together. But I will say this, 
that as I'm thinking about sufficiency and coming to understand what does it mean for something to be sufficient, I think about it like, well, that'll suffice. It's just good enough, right? It's just, just enough to get us by. That'll do. That is not true about God's grace. Sufficiency means that it is in supply to everything that we need. Everything. So it's not just enough to get by. It spans over every area of our life. So this is a big, broad overview. Please take time to study this for yourself. There's no way that you can grasp everything that we need to talk about today in one sitting. Plus, I'm not the smartest person in the world, and so you need to check this out for yourself. I would tell people or tell kids all the time when I was in youth ministry the first time, I'm back in there again. But uh, when I was in there the first time, I would say to kids, they would show up without their Bible, you know. It used to just irk me to death. But that was before the Bible app, and I'm like, why don't these kids carry Bibles? Well, guess what? They didn't know they needed to. They didn't understand that. And I was so against, for the longest time, putting the scripture on the screen. We were in the um, children's building at the time. It was the only building that we had. And I just fought that and fought that because I was I'm going to make them bring their Bibles. Well, that's crap. It's not going to work, okay? So guess what? I started putting it on the screen because I would do anything for them to understand what the scripture says. I want them to see it. Whatever I have to do for them to see it, I would do that. So... We're going to look at the scripture, but my challenge is don't take my word for it. Look at it. Don't take Steve's word for it, Joe's word for it. We do our best to be trustworthy in what we're conveying to you according to what the scripture says, but it's your job to study it for yourself, so please do that. 2 Corinthians 12, chapters, uh, chapter 12, verses 7 through 10, we're going to look at. This is kind of our theme verse for today. It says, Because of these surpassingly great revelations, therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I love these verses because it reminds me that my weakness is a good thing. I could list and list and list and list my weaknesses. I, I, I would, there's not enough paper in the world, enough ink in the world for me to list them all. So many weaknesses in my life. And in my eyes, as a human being, that seems like such a deficiency. And it is on my own. But when God's grace is applied to it, it's an awesome thing to see him take those weaknesses and apply his grace to it, and his strength is made perfect in my life. It puts me in a position. God, first, let me hear, the, hear me say this. God is not manipulative. He is not a puppet master. He is not trying to make us do things. But when we recognize that his grace is sufficient to cover everything that's happening in our lives, guess what it does? When I'm in a position of weakness, it forces me to look to the one that I've believed in, right? It, set, it shows me that I have to look to the one whose grace is sufficient because my strength isn't. My strength is actually weakness. So there's five areas of sufficiency we're going to look at today. They're in your bulletin. Number one, God's grace is sufficient in supply. There was a study done um, by the Australian National University back, I don't know when this was, but it was done. I forgot to write down when. But they were studying how many stars are in the known universe. First of all, let me say this. I'm bad at math and I'm bad at science. So I looked at this study and I believe it because it's what it says. So if I'm wrong, if there's some star experts in here, 
My apologies, okay? But this is what this study said. Guess how many, um, what is it called? An astro astronomer? Astronomer, not astrologer. Astronomer, right? Okay. <laughs> I say that wrong. A star expert sounds better, okay? The point is, they came up with this number of stars that are in the known universe. They said it was 70 sextillion. Now, you want to argue with me about it? I'll say you're right. I don't know. But it, I'm, my point is, as I'm thinking about this, that number, and you think about just going outside and looking at the stars that you can see, that's, that's not even counting the ones we can't, but looking at the ones that we can see, in comparison to God's grace, that's nothing. It's an awesome thing to me. It's like one star compared to all, all of God's grace. There's no way to fathom how much it is. My point is this. His grace is sufficient in supply. He doesn't look at me and say, you know what, Cam, I don't have enough for that today. I'm sorry, I'm fresh out. His supply is endless. There is nothing that he cannot cover. It's an awesome thing to me. Charles Spurgeon, if you've never read any of his writings, I challenge you to do it. But this is what he said. It's a quote um, talking about grace and the things that he calls us to and the things that we need him for in our lives. When God forgives our sins, there's more forgiveness to follow. He justifies us in the righteousness of Christ, but there's more to follow. He adopts us into his family, but there's more to follow. He prepares us for heaven, but there's more to follow. He gives us grace but there's more to follow. He helps us to old age, but there's still more to follow. Even when we arrive in the world to come, there will still be more to follow. There is no shortage of God's grace at all. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 6 through 7 say this, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus, in order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. That's an awesome thing to me to think that his grace is sufficient to us in supply now in, in this age, but in the age to come. That as we're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, when we go to heaven, his grace is still available to us there. Why? Because it's what got us there in the first place, right? That is the thing that God said, you don't deserve this, but I'm going to give it to you because I want you in heaven with me for eternity. That's an awesome thing awesome thing. So his grace is sufficient in supply. Number two, God's grace is sufficient in salvation. 1 Timothy 1, 15 through 16 says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. Can we go back to the previous slide real quick? I want you to pay attention real quick to this first phrase. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Stop. Time out right there. I want you to hear me say something. If you don't hear anything else today, please leave with this. The word of God is truth. It is worthy. It is worthy and deserving of full acceptance. Don't cherry pick out the things that fit your life, that you think fit your life, or the things that you like. And don't exclude the things that you don't like or that you don't understand. Accept it fully and allow God to illuminate it in your life, to show you what it means, and to begin to change your mind about the things you might not like. I this is a hard one. It is difficult to do. But when you will accept it fully, 
God will do some tremendous things in your life. So, so he's setting up this scripture to say about the, the things that come after this. Those things are trustworthy, but it is true of all of scripture. So take it as a whole as it is. Dive into it and come to understand it for yourself. But he is pointing out here the most critical thing for us to understand as human beings. This is the most important decision we will ever make is that his grace is sufficient for our salvation. Salvation means that the thing that, the, the thing that is my life on my own, I make a mess of it. There is nothing I could ever do that would be good enough that would grant me access to heaven. I think I'm a pretty nice person most of the time, except when I'm sitting in traffic or, I mean, I'm pretty nice, right? But, I, I, and I try to do the right thing most of the time. But those things will never get me to heaven, never but coming to fully understand who Jesus is because of his grace and the work of it in my life is what salvation is. Lord, forgive my sin. Come in and be my savior. Help me to know how to live for you. That's what salvation is. It's a transformation of us according to his grace, not based on any merit of our own. That is for sure. So his uh, grace is absolutely sufficient for salvation. I want to tell you a quick story about a guy named Nicky Cruz. Some of you uh, may know who this person is and may know his story. But uh, just a little snapshot of his stories. He was one of the, uh, a gang leader in one of the worst gangs in New York City. He grew up very hardened. Um, he was abused as a child. He had never experienced anybody telling them they, that they loved him or understanding what it was to be loved by somebody. He didn't know what that was like. So he was taking out his aggression on other people. And he even goes on to say um, that he wanted other people to feel the pain he had felt inflicted by his mom. It was a terrible, terrible growing up. And so he did everything he could. He said he loved making people feel pain. He did not want anybody to feel good because he didn't, right? So he's inflicting this on other people. But there was one person who saw Nikki's need for God's grace. It was a pastor named David Wilkerson. He risks his life to tell Nikki about Jesus and the grace that's available to him. He was preaching um, in New York City, and Nikki and his gang members happened to, to happen on this service. So they're listening, but as he's preaching, he's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about things that are uh, imperative for us to understand for salvation or for us to receive for salvation. And he began to taunt him and scream at him and curse him. He spat on him. He hit him. So this wasn't just heckling from the crowd. They were assaulting him as he's preaching, he and his other gang members. And he said they, they were saying, stop saying that. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear that. Because the Holy Spirit was working on them. He was doing something in them. He was drawing them. The, the, the Bible talks about grace. John Wesley went a little further to break down grace into three categories. But the prevenient grace of God, John Wesley talked about, is the grace of God that goes before us, that draws us to salvation. That's the work of the Holy Spirit prior to the time that we become a Christian. So the Holy Spirit was at work in Nikki and his friends' lives here. But he did not expect to hear what he heard next. David Wilkerson said this, you could cut, this is after, I mean, they're beating him up. And he says, you could cut me up into a thousand pieces and lay them in the street and every piece would still love you. He didn't know what to do with it. He went home. He said, for two weeks, this messed me up in a good way. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, th that's all I could think about is how could a person love me? That was a foreign concept and not just how could they love me in light of the bad things that I've done, but just how could they love me in general? No one had ever said that to him. So this was a new thing to him. 
But a couple of weeks later, guess what they did? They found where he was preaching again, and they went. This is a hoot to me. They're going to take up an offering, and they needed volunteers. So the gang members volunteer because there was a back door, and they were going to take up the offering and leave with it, right? But the Holy Spirit convicted them, and they stopped, and they stayed. And they listened to the message, and Nikki came to know Christ. That was a neat thing. But, but fast forward all these years later, cool thing, too, is he got to minister with David Wilkerson for many years together, the guy who had led him to Christ. But you look at the thousands upon thousands of people who have heard him preach, who have been part of the ministries that he's run. They've come to know Christ because he came to understand salvation for himself. So the grace of God is sufficient for salvation. It, is not, it doesn't require more of God's grace to forgive me than it does to forgive Bill. If that were true, I probably would need more than he does, right? If you know me, right? <laughs> yeah, he would agree. But... That's not how it works. The same amount of grace that gets applied to my life for salvation gets applied to yours when you're willing to receive it. You're not a worse person and in need of more grace. That just isn't how it works. God doesn't have to work harder to save you than he does to save your neighbor. It doesn't work like that. It's the same amount of grace applied, and it is sufficient for salvation. The third thing, God's grace is sufficient in suffering. Some of you are going, no thank you, I don't want to hear this because he hasn't shown up for me yet. Hold tight and listen to me. 1 Peter 5.10 says this, And the God of all grace who called you to his eternal glory in Christ after you've suffered a little while will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. Uh, there's another uh, version that says, he will personally restore, establish, strengthen, and support you after you've suffered a little while. So let's look at those four things real quick. The first thing it says that God will restore. It says he will personally apply his grace to this and restore you. When I think about restoration, I think about something that's broken, that God puts back together. It's an amazing thing to see God do that in our lives. If you've ever experienced it, even in, in the smallest way, it will blow your mind to see how he can take the things, not just that have gone wrong that are out of my control, but the things that I have done that have been wrong, that I have gotten out of control. God restores those things. He wants to. His grace will do it. You may think your marriage is falling apart or your children are wayward or whatever. God will restore that. The second thing it says that he will do is God will establish. When I think about um, him establishing me, I think about a firm foundation, standing on something that's firm. It's not being tossed about like the waves on the sea. The scripture talks about that, being somebody who just can't quite get their feet under them. When God establishes us, we are on a firm foundation. That is based on the word of God because of his grace in our life. He will do that for us says he will also strengthen us, and the fourth thing is that he will support us. Some of you um, have gone through some storms, literally and figuratively. Some of you um, may have had some tremendous damage and life-altering things happen as a result of Hurricane Michael. That's still such a theme for us around here. You look around and see this devastation. You might look around your life and see that same kind of thing and go, why, Lord, have you not answered me? When is it my turn? You, you could liken it to if your neighbor and your, your neighbor's home and your home had a lot of damage and your neighbor's home gets fixed 
So I got a great contractor, it gets fixed, people are laughing. Yeah, right, uh-huh, I've been there, okay. That happens, but you're still sitting in your home or a motor home that's, your home's in shambles, right? And you're still living in a motor home because you can't get everything done that needs to get done. And you're going, Lord, what about me? What about my family? I'm, tr- I'm doing the best I can. I'm giving it to you. I'm trusting you. I'm praying. I'm asking you, when are you going to show up for me? Or I need healing in my life for my mind, for my relationships, for my body, for my finances, whatever it might be. Lord, why haven't you shown up for me yet? And we get impatient and we get frustrated. And we look at the scripture and it says, after you've suffered a little while, well, Lord, it has been more than a little while. Thank you. I would like for you to come on. Well, guess what? In light of eternity, which is the way God sees things, it is a little while. And I don't say that lightly and flippantly to tell you to just, you know, hang on. But I am telling you to hang on. But you hang on to what the scripture says. If you feel like God is not answering you or he's not hearing you or you don't know what the answer is going to be, there is a place that has answers for you already. It may not be the specific one that you need for that end thing that God's going to do. But my challenge to you is this. In the midst of suffering where you think God is not showing up and his grace is not working, look at the scripture and live into the promises of scripture that you already know until the things that you don't know show up. But you have to look at the things that are in the scripture, hold to them, the things that you know are true, that God is good, that he is faithful, that he hears you, that he loves you. All of those things, hold to those until the answers that you need eventually come into plain view. And they will. His grace is sufficient in suffering. The fourth thing, God's grace is sufficient in sin. I want you to look at the progression we've taken. Here we talked about his grace being sufficient in supply for salvation, for suffering, and then sin. I didn't put sin at the top of the list. It's no less important or no more important. But recognize that after you come to faith in Jesus Christ in salvation, that we talked about at the top of the list, we still sin after salvation. I'm not sure if you're aware of that. I could tell you my stories, plenty of them. That I continue to sin, I continue to falter. So his grace spans beyond salvation. It's the sanctifying grace of God that goes with us from salvation all the way through to the time that we go to heaven. Right? It's not something that we just are in need of until we come to know Christ and then he's like, good luck. See you on the other side. It isn't that. His grace is sufficient for us all the way through. That we come to understand that that my, my, my sin still needs the grace of God applied to it so that I can continue to grow into what he's called me to be. Romans 5.20 says, The law was brought in so that the trespass might increase, but where sin increased, grace increased all the more. It doesn't mean that the more that I sin, that God has to work harder to forgive me. We already established that. But it does say, That where sin increases, grace increases all the more, meaning it's always available to me. It does not matter the scale of my sin. Grace doesn't give us an excuse to sin. The Bible is clear about that. We don't continue going on sinning more and more just because we know grace is there. That cheapens it. It, it, It's thumbing our nose in God's face and saying, I'm going to do what I want because I've already got my stamp to go to heaven. No, that's not how it works. 
We're supposed to strive more and more to be like Christ, to be made perfect. Um, John Wesley talked about going on to perfection. Scripture talks about that. that We're made perfect when we go to heaven. But in the meantime, we're to be growing more and more and more like him. My sin gets mixed in there because I'm a human being. I need to strive to not sin, but when I do, his grace is available to me. You cannot out-sin God's grace. You may think that you can. You may say, you don't know my story. You have no idea. You're right, I don't. But I'd love to. One of my favorite things in the world is to sit down with people and hear their story. I love that. Me and Brittany went to lunch not long ago, and we sat there. It was the first time we ever hung out, and guess what we did? We sat at, where would we go? Liza's. And we sat outside, and we cried the whole time talking sharing stories. It was the best. We had just met. It was great. But there's a connection there when God's grace is at work, right? And we're sharing stories because stories matter. The way that we share how God has transformed our lives matters. And understanding that the sin that's in my life that God has transformed because of his grace is important for me to share that and understand. If you sat down with me and started listing out the things that you say, you have no idea what I've done. I don't. But I would not be surprised. And you say, yes, you would. No, I wouldn't. You know why? Because I know me. And I know my own sin. I would not be surprised at yours. I promise you that. Call me and we'll go to coffee. I challenge you. See what happens. I'll buy. Okay? You may say I've cheated on my spouse or abused my family or wasted my money or done whatever. Okay. But his grace is applied to that when we ask for it. Our sin is wiped away when we ask him to apply it. Where sin abounds grace abounds all the more his grace is sufficient for our sin and then here's the last thing god's grace is sufficient in service second corinthians chapter 9 verse 8 says god is able to make every grace overflow to you so that in every way always having everything you need you may excel in every good work when we've gone from salvation growing in our faith guess what god does He asks us to do some things. He doesn't say, all right, well, you've gotten your ticket, so that's good enough. No, he asks us to serve him, not because he doesn't have enough time to get things done and not because he's lazy. It's because there are people who need to hear our stories. There are people who do not yet know him as their savior, and we can help them get there. There is nothing more exciting than that to me. I will talk about that all day long. It never gets old when I start to see people come to know Christ. Never gets old, and I hope it never does. I will say this. Last weekend, had the best time with one of our former students and church members here at Woodlawn. Um, His name is Peter Young. He was at 940 last week. Some of you may have seen him. He was a teenager um, when he was here, came up through the youth group. And he's gone um, on into ministry. He and his wife are missionaries with the Jesus Film Project. They translate um, the Jesus Film movie into languages of unreached people groups around the world. They go show this film. Sometimes it's like out in the middle of the jungle. They put up a a screen and they take a projector and they show it. It's an awesome thing. People come to know Christ because they hear it in their own language. They start to understand it and see that God's grace is sufficient for them too. They may have never heard of him, but they see people come to know him because of that. So he's part of that. That's a neat thing. There are countless, I don't know that they would ever be able to count the amount of people that have come to know Christ through the years as a result of this. It's been going on a long time. But I'll tell you the thing that impacted me the most in sitting and talking with Peter last week 
is, is something else. It's not what they're doing in the midst of that ministry. It's something else that God's called into. He and Molly have four little girls, which is so funny to me. I just never pictured him as a dad of little girls, but it is a wild ride to hang out with them, okay? Four little girls under the age of six. So think about that, all right? They are on a month-long uh, road trip right now, so pray for them. Four little girls. The oldest one, who's six, came to know Christ not long ago. And they didn't force her into that, but they simply every day told her how much God loved her and what Jesus wanted to do in her life, how he wanted to bridge the gap of her sin to himself so that she could be in heaven with him. So they just daily shared that in their prayer time together when they would put them to bed and, and just reminding them how much God loved them. <clears throat> so the oldest one started to get it. She came to know Christ. Guess what she started doing then? She started telling number two, you need Jesus. She's four, right? So the six-year-old started telling the four-year-old she needed Jesus. Well, it didn't take very long, and she came to know Christ too. Why? Because they're answering the call. They have answered the call to lead their family well and to lead their family to Jesus. Parents, hear me. This is the most important job you will ever have. Grandparents, same thing. Find those people in your life who do not know him and point them that way. Walk with them that way. It's, it's an awesome responsibility, but it's the place he calls you to serve. That may not be the case for you. You may not have kids or may not have grandkids, whatever. Okay, fine. There's plenty of people on this beach who don't know Jesus that need him. Your neighbors need him. Some people that you live next door to, you're, yes, they do. They need him because their fence is over on my thigh or whatever, okay? There are, there are things that you know about your neighbors, okay? And they need Jesus. Well, pray for them then and point them that way and walk with them. People that you work with, people in the grocery store, don't be like me and blow your horn and blow your witness on the road, okay? I, I, every time I do it, I'm like, what is wrong with you, psycho? Don't do that, right? Because I blow my witness so easy, I lose my patience. Don't do that. Walk with people to Jesus. Take them there. They need him desperately. Take them there. He will never call you to do something that he won't equip you to do, that his grace is not applied to for you to carry out. He will never call you to do something that... that you cannot do with his power. You can't do it on your own, but you can with him. Hudson Taylor was a missionary in China for more than 50 years in the 19th century. And uh, his story is amazing to me because he went uh, at a time that that really wasn't a thing. I mean, you saw a mission team up here today that's going to Ecuador. We go every year. Next year, we're sending two teams. It's awesome. That's something that's pretty easy to do nowadays travel we got a travel agent i just called them and they did everything right to take care of it i didn't have to figure all that out in the 19th century that wasn't the case i mean there wasn't just ways to do that really easily but god began to birth in him a hunger to see people come to know christ in china he'd never been there but he had a love for them and that's only because god does that so he began to pray about what to do so god is sending him to china he goes and he started being rejected pretty quickly as he would go in to preach in different villages and places. He, he's getting the door shut on him constantly. I love this at this time because nowadays this may not seem like that big of a deal. But at that time, this was a really big deal. He, he started thinking and recognizing, I don't look like them. I don't talk like them. 
what can I do about how, that's how I'm going to reach them. So he started dressing like them. He learned their language and he started being accepted. He gained favor with them. God gave him favor with people and he starts preaching the gospel. Tons of people came to know Christ. Through the years now, even since then, so many things have happened as a result of his writings. Read him. It's amazing. I will read you an excerpt um, where he's referencing the grace of God that sustains us when he calls us to serve him. He says this, It does not matter where he places me or how. That's rather for him to consider than for me. For the easiest positions, he must give grace. And in the most difficult, his grace is sufficient. So if God places me in great perplexity, must he not give much guidance? In positions of great difficulty, much grace? In circumstances of great pressure and trial, much strength? As to work, mine was never so plentiful, so responsible, or so difficult. But the weight and the strain are all gone. His resources are mine, for he is mine. His grace is sufficient for service because he calls us to it. He supplies what we need to do it. The, the work may be plentiful and it may be difficult. Who knows? There, there are sometimes God will call you to plant and to water seeds of salvation in people or seeds of ministry in people's lives. There's other times that you're going to get to just pick that fruit because it is ready. You'll see people come to know Christ. You'll get to help them move into a new place in their discipleship walk with the Lord. You'll get to do that. There's all kinds of different things he will call you to but he will supply the grace it takes to do it. The strain, the weight of God's call on our life doesn't have to be heavy. It should be weighty because we should recognize that that it's a call from God. That's an amazing thing. That's a weighty thing. But it does not have to be heavy. It does not have to be hard where you're lugging this call yourself and trying to do it. You're doing it because he's applied his grace to it and given you everything it takes to carry it out. He's not going to ask you to do anything that his grace won't provide for. So his grace is sufficient in five things. Supply, salvation, suffering, sin, and service. All of those things, none of those areas don't touch our lives. All of them do. We, we've experienced places that we need in all of those areas. Allow him to do it. It spans over every part of our life. So if you recognize today that you're in need of this grace, you're not alone. There are people here who would love to pray with you, who would love to encourage you. Uh, we will pray for you throughout the week. The pastors get a list of all the, the uh, prayer requests that you write on the connection card. Steve was telling me this week, he said, I just love getting these and getting to pray for people every week. It's an awesome thing. They do it every single week. So write those things there. But if you see yourself in need of salvation today or healing or covering of God's grace for your sin, or if he's tugging on your heart to do something to serve him and you've been pushing it back and not wanting to do it, ask him, we're going to pray here in just a second, to apply his grace to it. I want to tell you, there's a group of students that are here um, that have been with us all summer. When you walk in, they're stretched all the way down the sidewalk. So for those of you who are here all year long, remember how wonderful that was to walk through that? Volunteer to do it when they're not here, okay? We need greeters. We need people outside who look as happy as they do. They're so excited to be here. But I want to tell you, they are serving our community in a way that is amazing to me. So if you are here with um, Kaleo, would you please stand? (laughs) 
this is what it looks like. This is what it looks like to walk in the grace of God in service. They are serving. I want to tell you, it is a palpable difference in our community when you are here. You go in places of business and you just know. You just know that those are Kaleo students. We know it. It's an awesome thing. Yesterday I was in Waffle House eating breakfast on Thomas Drive. There was a girl named Lauren in there. Um, I met her and there was two other little girls in there working too. I didn't meet them, but she pointed them out to me. Had the best conversation with her. Tell her that Cameron said, hey, okay. But I had the best conversation with her about how it transforms our community when you're here. She was telling me about people who have come to know Christ, that they've seen come to know Christ because of your presence here. Please know that what you are doing matters. It matters in eternity, but it's an encouragement to those of us who live here year-round. Thank you so much. You can be seated. We're going to pray, and I, I challenge you to ask the Lord to supply for you whatever area in your life needs grace. Just extend your hand to him and ask him to supply it. He'll do it. You may not know what it is. Just say, Lord, I'm open. I'm open. I'll take it. Whatever you have for me, I want it, and he will do it. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today that there's nothing about our lives that you won't touch there's nothing about our lives that you don't want to transform. Lord, we need you to do a transforming work in us because your grace is the only thing that can do it. We can't. So we trust you, Lord, today to be sufficient in supply, to offer and receive us into salvation, to ease our suffering and show up in the midst of it. Lord, to heal our sin and to call us to serve you. Show us, Lord, where you want us. We will do it. We receive from you this morning, Lord, all the things that we never even dreamed we needed. We love you. We thank you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.